0: Hello everyone, this is Martin Yu. Welcome or welcome back to another episode of the show. My guest today is Evan Varsamis. You can find him on Twitter at EvanVar. He is a New York-based entrepreneur, founder, and CEO at Mintify, the modular trading terminal for all things NFT-Fi. Evan is a five-times founder and was previously the CEO of Flow, which recently got acquired. As a self-taught designer and developer, Evan is a curious mind that stays on the edge of technology on a day-to-day basis, having to navigate a fast-paced Web3 world. In this episode, we talk about the importance of wearing many hats as an entrepreneur, he shares his mindset for scaling company, how to build culture, his hiring process, and much more. We talk about NFTs, creating value within ecosystems, the future of in-game assets, as well as the stuff he's currently working on with Mintify. Excited to share this one with you today. So without further ado, please enjoy my convo with Evan
1: Varsamis.
0: Evan, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. Great to be here.
0: Thanks for taking the time. I um, wanted to start with uh, an article that I read a while back, and and I read that you're a self-taught designer and developer. Did you usually take on that role in the early companies that you started?
1: Um, That's a great question. So I started my journey as a self-taught designer and developer when I was uh, around 16, 16 and a half years old. Um, The idea was that, you know, like to build a business, and I kind of realized that later, right? But the idea for me was that to build a business, you need to have all the tools available to be able to externalize, let's say, your ideas, your thinking, or the flows. And I I was able to do that with like wireframing back in the day, started learning like uh, Photoshop, uh, and InDesign and then jumped into Illustrator. Um, and then I basically started with WordPress websites, uh, Mm. and Joomla as well, for those that remember those days of Joomla. (laughs) And, uh, the idea was that, you know, like I wanted to have the freedom to make changes that I want myself without the need of going out and hiring a developer. So I did a deep dive, uh, started obviously with like HTML, CSS, uh, a bit of JavaScript, a bit of PHP. But obviously when, when things started to become serious, like a few years later, obviously I had to, uh, you know, you couldn't be just an amateur developer basically and scale everything on your own. So obviously I partnered with developers, we hired developers, and that's just another story. Mm. Uh, but I just feel like for any founder, um, it's very, very important basically to have some sort of background in coding or design or marketing. Um, cause if you're like a Swiss knife. Like a few folks call me, um, it's just much, much better to communicate uh, with the rest of the team and be able to um, align basically all the needs and the vision of the company
0: right like and and I feel like as an entrepreneur who, as you mentioned, like who has to wear many multiple hats, I think the thing that that is most important is to be a practitioner of those uh those things, like whether it's marketing or um you know coding, any of those things like it's It's good to have a grasp on it because you can communicate your vision better. Because if not, like, you're, you're just like, you're basically like a blind person being led by freelancers or employees.
1: Exactly. In short, that means being basically a technical founder. And I feel like there, it's not sustainable anymore to just have an idea and go out, uh, raise, you know, raise some funds and just try to navigate through, let's say, the tech world or or like the the tech stack. So if your product, if you're bu- building the th- something that's technical right right without having any background at all i feel like you're gonna have a hard time well plus
0: now it's so easy to learn stuff like i remember i don't know how old you are but like even when i was um you know 15 or 14 youtube was barely starting uh you know the the, the resources that we have today is just endless you you want to learn a skill you want to learn to play the guitar you want to like anything you just go on youtube or you go on blogs and all the information is there Absolutely. Uh, I'm 32,
1: by the way. <laughs> okay, so we're close. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I remember those days, like the Treehouse days. Like YouTube has always, I've always been like a big YouTube advocate myself. Um, a lot of people are trying to pay for uh, some really expensive courses. And even like getting a bachelor's degree, I feel like if you're if you're, if you're a developer, you know, like or a designer, these are, these are some of these uh, professions to say that you can you can just learn your own. And I feel like to me now as a founder, when I hire people, I don't care about their bachelor's degree honestly, whether they got like you know a bachelor's degree from Parsons or whatever, versus their portfolio uh their experience in the chemistry and the passion that they have for uh, for the space that they're applying for. I feel like the these are way more important things to consider uh, when you're hiring an individual today uh, versus where they got their degree from
0: agreed actually, like you mentioned hiring and then I wanted to highlight something that you said in an article, which was the key strategy to keep your team close is weekly meetings. Do you still believe in that? And can you walk us through your current process of building and maintaining a strong
1: team? Yeah, absolutely. So that's something that I got accustomed to cast with my web to company GadgetFlow. I've scaled that for the past 10, 11 years at this point, um, stepped down last year to focus full time Mentify and, and exited completely from that company last February. But one thing be- one thing became apparent. You can't just you know, you can just have a team that works remotely or in an office, and just have like um, a to-do list through Monday.com or any other project management platform that you're using. But instead, you you got to make sure that a you address all of their concerns on the project that they're working on, whether that's developer, designer, marketing department, sales. So you got to make sure that for the core departments of your company, you're directly connected with them and you're up to date with all the issues, barriers that they may have, and you know, you as a founder that, obviously CEO, not a founder specifically, but you got to be the problem solver. And uh, that, that, that's basically out on every meeting, right? Everyone's going to come with issues, solutions, potential solution or ideas, but at the end of the day, it's up to you to guide them through that whole process. So I feel like weekly meetings is something that's kind of mandatory, simply because like in any industry, specifically in tech, Web3, especially today, crypto, blockchain, blockchain. Um, everything moves so fast. So you can't really have like a one-year roadmap or like a two-year roadmap, but rather like monthly, quarterly, and weekly. Right. And even so, most of the times, your quarterly roadmap is just going to change a few times. Um, and I just feel like in such fast-moving environments, you're going to be able to adapt and you got to be on the same page with your team at all times. And I feel like weekly frequency just works for me and works for the companies that I've built previously. And I just feel like, you know, it's, it's not daily. It's not monthly. I feel like weekly is just the perfect uh, frequency.
0: Do you find it challenging to create a culture when you're mostly having Zoom meetings and all that stuff? Because it that's something with COVID that it was, you know, there, there's like pros and cons. And one of the pros was that, you know, we could just meet anywhere, anytime because there was none of that, like a physical need to be in a space. But at the same time, I found it challenging for myself. And I know a lot of people that um, are entrepreneurs as well have found it challenging to build, a culture in the company when you're just having meetings via Zoom. Is that something that you've felt? I know that you most of the companies you founded were like internet companies, web two, web three companies. Did you ever feel like the physical presence was a key factor in
1: in building culture? Yeah. So I can talk about that all day because I, I basically pursued a remote a remote environment back in like twenty eleven So that was before COVID. And uh, I absolutely I loved it for numerous reasons. I'm just going to give you a couple of examples. So I remember that I had to commute. I'm Greek, by the way, born and raised. So my media agency was based in in Athens, Greece at that point. Um, And I remember that I had to commute for like an hour, which is the case, I would say, for the majority of people, especially here in the U.S., if you're you're living in a business city, right, like New York, LA, and so on. Mm. Commute is one of your biggest headaches. Um, You you can't just sugarcoat it anyway. So... remember that I had to commute to go to the office and I had so many ideas, so many things that I wanted to do. And I felt like that urge, that stress constantly from Monday to Friday that I got to get to the office. I got to send those emails. I got to make those calls. I got to write down those ideas. And I just felt like it's a waste of time. It's not good for the environment, you know, like being in your car (laughs) like two hours a day, driving in traffic. I can just compile like a massive list of all the cons of why, for instance, um, you know, being in a physical environment is not good. Of course, on the other hand, You can expect, and I've had this with team members before, you can not expect everyone to feel comfortable working remotely for you. You should expect that certain individuals are going to take advantage of it. Certain individuals will never feel comfortable because most likely they they don't have like, you know, like an office or a den that they can work in Mm. um, that's like peaceful, let's just say, and they have like the ultimate setup. And that was primarily the case with COVID because no one was ready. They were forced to do that. Um, if you have a, a beautiful office, you invest it into like your equipment and, and, and the zen, let's say, of the room and everything. And above everything, you have like, you figure out like the schedule around like your your work hour. Uh, therefore, you have no distractions, whether that's from kids, from family, mm-hmm. from from friends or whatever. And you get into that mindset. I feel like the majority of people feel feel more comfortable working remotely versus having to dress up and go to the office and commute every day. On the culture side, I feel like it's possible. 100%. It really depends on what you're trying to achieve long-term with your team and whether your team is aligned with your vision. Um, so that's why we were doing like quite lengthy interviews during my web two days with individuals that we're considering hiring. Mm. wanted to see like, you know, what's, what's like, what's like their, their mindset. I've had to hire like one individual in one of my companies at some point that I knew that he was a gamer. And okay. for whatever reason, a few, a few months later, Another blue that was also a gamer. He saw him like being online on on like Steam, during work hours, <laughs> like, playing Counter Strike. You know, so yeah, well, I remember he was saying Age of the Empires actually. But like, yeah, <laughs> um, the the idea was that you know you gotta bump into these issues, and you don't want to be like you know some people might say you gotta be very aggressive and and put some restrictions and try to track your employees and their and what they're doing and their Chrome and this and that. I'm not in that category. I feel like you got to give them freedom. And if they take advantage of that freedom, then there are obviously repercussions, right? Right. Um, but I, you know, I believe in the good of the world, basically. So when, when we're hiring someone, I feel like my success rate throughout the last 10 years has been like above like 85, 90% at this point. So not a lot of people took advantage of it. Culture is something that comes with time. You as a founder and as a CEO and with the rest of the executive team you have to put some effort uh, to it. So it's not going to come like, for instance, organically, right? Or so it it does take a bit of effort. And I think that's something that if you decide to go remote, you still have to have some kind of physical presence like once in a while, whether that's a team retreat, whether that's attending conferences uh, as a team. And we did that. And I personally loved it. I remember that I flew the entire Gadgetflow team to Osaka in Tokyo. And I remember like, you know, I was part of like putting together like all the flights and and everything, and we flew like, I remember like 11, 12 people from like literally US, U, UK, like Europe, uh, Asia. And we all wow. got together and we had amazing time for like seven days. Um,
0: A lot of these employees you never met in person, right?
1: Exactly. Wow, exactly. that's
0: beautiful. So you've been in the crypto space since 2015. You jumped into Web3 summer of 2021. What was the aha moment that launched Mintify?
1: Yeah, so I've been in the crypto space since 2015. The idea was that, um, I don't even remember how I bumped into crypto. I think it was I, was, I think it was in vacation in Italy or something. And I started reading like uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, uh white paper, and it kind of clicked to me because I grew up as a gamer. So I was quite familiar with like digital assets in general in games. Played I played World of Warcraft, you know, Age of the Empires, like Call of Duty, Counter-Strike tournaments nice. and everything in between. Which Counter-Strike did you play? 1.6. Okay, yeah. Do you remember the IRC days? Yeah, of course. At <laughs> 1.6 and then
0: afterwards I, I went to source and uh, yeah, I played competitively too. with was such a good game.
1: Yeah, I was, I was actually playing tournaments in, uh, in Greece and European League and everything. It was quite fun those days. But yeah, no, I mean, as soon as I jumped into crypto, it all made sense. I was always curious on how we're going to reach mass adoption in terms of like, you know, of course we can make it a global currency and this and that in like 10, 20, 30 years down the road. But I couldn't see, it was extremely hard for someone to like understand it. So but then fast forward to 2021 after, you know, doing like, uh, playing with like, obviously spot trading and, uh, and leverage trading and everything throughout the 2017 bull run. Like most people, we had the DeFi summer. That was interesting. But then 2021, I was moving to the U.S. for good with my wife. And I saw bored board of club minting and I bookmarked it. I was like, I, I don't even know. Like, I'm just going to do this later. <laughs> so fast forward a couple of months, I got, we got settled here in New York. Uh, and I was like, uh, damn, you know, like I, I got to do a deep dive. So I did that. I minted clones. I minted Proof Collective uh, by Kevin Rose, big fan. And it, it, it the, the way it clicked to me about NFTs is that we used PFPs and membership related NFTs as, you know, to set an example of what is possible with non-fungible tokens. And that obviously was kind of like the next step for me to understand how we're going to be approaching all these digital uh, assets and games and then we went to like airline tickets or any kind of thing ticket. of concert tickets right physical raising physical to digital mm. um and the more you go into that rabbit hole the more sense it will make and you realize that our lives you know aside of obviously the physical aspect we, there's just so many digital components from like the identity banking payments and then you have you know anything from like wallpapers to like the operating system that you're using and pretty much like all the digital assets, like social media and everything in between. So I see a world in which NFT becomes like, you know, the core architecture of it all. Mm. Um, but without necessarily everyone called, saying the name NFT, 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 which I can give you an example on that. It's like CPUs, right? Before the iPhone, everyone's like, you know, which device what do you have? Like I have the HTC that has like a 2.4 gigahertz, right? And this right. and that, and everyone was flexing their CPU. And then the iPhone came out and the Apple's thinking is that it just works. Right, right. right. So no, no one care about how much RAM do you have. And then for the next five years, every Android maxi was like, but you know, the, you're paying a thousand dollars for an iPhone, but I have like five times the RAM and you're overpaying. But that's not the point, right? Right. Um, so it's it's I, even, even th-
0: like, uh, you know, if you just talk about music, for example, like when we refer to a song, we don't say like, I'm going to listen to an MP3, right? You just say, I'm going to listen to this song. And I feel like it's the same thing with NFTs. It's, it's a medium. It's a, it's a way of like packing information, whatever that, uh, that fungible token might mean into using that technology, but it doesn't mean that in the future, that's how we're going to refer
1: to it. Exactly. 100%. It's going to be like in a passive way, but going back to Mintify, I like towards the end of the year, right around when Proof minted out, um, end of 2021, I think it was, I sat down at some point and. It was right around Christmas. And I came up with the idea of Mintify because they were like, you know, I don't know if you remember the, the, the chaotic days of chasing whitelists oh my God. because that was the easiest way, right? So you had to go on Discords and level up your Meet 6 and do this and tweet that. Um, I was always like a bit nervous about that because I, I didn't want to like, you know, burn in a quote, like my, my Twitter profile, just promote every project that I was after. But on the other hand, I kept like a private calendar. And I was like, this day, I got to mint this. Then I got to meet that. So the first product I came up with was uh, around Midify was the app covering basically the upcoming drops. So I coached Mm. the CTO for my Web2 company. He stepped down from Gadgetflow right around that time, January, 2022. And within two months, we actually launched an MVP of the upcoming Mm. drops product. And we integrated it with Google Calendar, uh, Telegram, Discord. We got push notifications. So we wanted to simplify how you're chasing those whitelist opportunities and bring everything under one roof. Now. The next evolution of that was obviously bringing in analytics. Um, So that was pre-Blur, pre opensea Pro. I think that the only relevant tool right around the time was IC tools that everyone was seeking for like, you know, the the trending list and everything. Right. Um, But then IC tools, you know, one of the, one of the issues that I was facing was that they don't just do like a massive data dump of like everything that's available, but instead they curated their collection. So they had like the top 20 or the top 100. Mm. And I was like, that's blockchain data. Anyone can get access to it. Why don't we just try to do a massive historical pool and show real-time data for everything that's on ETH? And we did that and people loved it. Mm -hmm. We did a few drops, raised about half a million to bootstrap the business. And then coming September, 2022, we raised 1.6 million from some Web3 native and crypto native funds. And we were on a sprint between then and today or a couple months ago, to launch a modular trading terminal that connects all NFT FI, uh, all protocols basically, and gives you the ability to trade, not just PFPs, but has the ability basically to support all the NFT asset classes. So anything from virtual land, music, you know, like basically all the asset classes of not just today, but future as well. And Mm -hmm. to achieve that, we had to revamp our entire infrastructure, the architecture of it as well, as well as create, you know, a next gen basically front end environment to be able to support all of that
0: so if we were to get geeky and, and technical how did that differ from let's say like nfts that are purely pfps to having now like a platform that can accommodate all these different types of nfts so music lan all that like yeah how did that differ
1: yeah that's a great question so OpenSea is a great platform for normies then blur came after like pro traders let's just say mm. um Both environments are built in a web two way, the way we see it. Uh, Meaning that you go in OpenSea, you wanna buy virtual land and you buy, you know, a square JPEG technically that represents that asset uh, in game or in the D app, right? Or the app for prices. Mm. Our thinking is that we wanted to elevate that trading experience, not just for today, but in the future. And for that to happen, we had to create our own architecture and our own ship. So we came up with the modular thesis so if you go to now and midify, you can just move all the modules around. So if you're trading using the cell wall, um, you can just populate that. If you want to build a module as a creator and bring in an off-chain API for your collection, you can do that, for instance. <laughs> if you want to move things around and go with a more simplified view, you can do that. Uh, if you want to change the layout for and optimize it for virtual land trading, you can get access, for example, to Sandbox's interactive map. So instead of just trading as an example, just square JPEGs representing the block that you're buying, you can actually play around with a map like you're on the sandbox website. Mm-hmm. But the exception here is that you get access to all the aggregated liquidity, whether that's a private marketplace that Soundbox is running or whether that's OpenSea or Blur or our marketplace and everything in between.
0: Wow. Okay. That's awesome. So so th- just to clarify for the audience, so Mentify is a modular pro-trading terminal that aggregates... NFT liquidity, right?
1: Yeah, well, we don't, we don't, we don't put the word pro trading there. Um, okay. Simply because we're, we're working in a more simplified layout as well for normies. And the, the current markets say like everyone that's, that's here today, they've been around for at least like a year in the NFT space. So everyone feels like a pro, right? But our mission yeah. is not just to focus on the current traders, but also during the next cycle, have a substantial market share so we can, uh, eventually. Go after our vision, right? And and create all these different solutions for these asset classes. But the architecture is what set us apart today. The accuracy of our data, we have full historical data and full, full real-time data as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it our goal for the next couple quarters is to basically focus on combining all these lending protocols. So in a similar way that you want to get quotes if you want to buy a house, right? And you're getting mortgage quotes from like all these different lenders, right? From Chase and Citibank and everyone in between. So we, we're actually in a mission right now and connecting, for instance, Cyan, you know, Bendow, like, or uh, Arcade, pretty much like everyone in, in between. <laughs> so that when you're navigating through these, let's just say, higher floor price collections like EGODs, um, you, instead of just paying upfront prices nine or 10 years to buy it, you can just find out, pay later and get a quote from each lending protocol, Mm -hmm. whether you have to give 20% down payment or zero down payment, compare the terms, whether they support auto repayment or not, you can initiate those loans straight from, you'll be able to initiate those loans straight from the terminal.
0: Well, it's fascinating to see how, how far you've come with Mintify. Like it's only been a year and a half, Yep, a year and a half. And, and, you know, you've built so many things on top of this platform. And I think like an important point to touch upon is that I love this approach of um, building something in public. And I think the space that we're in really forced us to do that and allows for that. And I wish like more founders actually put themselves out there and just like put your product out and see what's the feedback, Uh, you know, and and your users will actually tell you what you need as a feature. So my my point here and my question is like, how do you take in feedback from not only your employees, but from the, the users and what you decide to you know allocate capital on or or your focus on.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I feel like it's a delicate dance. Um, really, really important to focus on uh, you know cash flow and survival because we're at the bottom of the bear. So you can't just go around spending money on like crazy ideas or just R and D uh, when you're in a bear market. So are the way we're thinking about the products and the solutions that we're coming out. Um, it's not about direct monetization like tomorrow, but rather the next couple of quarters and how we see uh, ourselves building a sustainable business. One thing that every founder in the space with no exception is struggling is figuring out what you know product market fit A and figuring out their economic model and their business model and how they can generate revenue aside of like royalties because royalties are pretty much gone. Mm. Um, and I don't think they're coming back for like the average PFP project or memberships. Perhaps they're got, there's going to be like art related marketplaces that honor royalties that go beyond seaport or piggyback seaport. Um but for now, you know, I feel like every founder, regardless of the war chest they have, whether that's in the thousands or, or millions or tens of millions of dollars, they want to build, you know, entire empires and businesses, but they don't have like a guaranteed revenue stream for the uh for the next six to twelve months. No one has figured that out. Um and we actually were actually to navigate that right now. We thought about a new economic model that's rewarding for our community and our users, both short-term and long-term because it's perhaps another argument. Um, And it's also sustainable for our business as well. So in short, we came up with this seasonal model. We we got all the best parts from like Call of Duty, Fortnite seasons. And we also got the best parts from like exchanges and the leaderboards that they've created to incentivize volume between 2017 and today because they wanted to grow their market share, right? Mm -hmm. So we've created this hybrid model, and we also threw in a dynamic NFT on top of that as well. So the idea here is that the more you use our products, the more you trade on our platform, the more XP points you get. And throughout each season, you can unlock all kinds of rewards, whether that's cash prizes, NFTs, raffles, bridging your points to another ecosystem. So we, get, we, we make an engaging and rewarding experience uh, for all of these users that are, that are, that are using a product. So that's like short term. Long term, uh, we're going to be launching our ecosystem token. Uh, we call it ME from Mintify Ecosystem. Um, that's going to be rewarding all, not only just traders based on their traction and performance throughout the seasons, but also reward like uh, builders that are building on top of us. So it's more of like an ecosystem play for us. So it's going to be a utility token, not just something that we are and We forget about it. Um, and uh, we're, we're putting together the plan as we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're going to be sharing some updates on that in the next few months.
0: Yeah, I saw that you recently acquired like a Uts PFP. Like, the, I guess that's one of the prizes that eventually you you can like give away for people that are in top leader boards. that do I get that right?
1: Or yeah, so the is that for instance, this is gonna be raffled. Um, so imagine that you'll get access to the XP store, and if you have let's say ten thousand XP points, you can use your points to get raffle entries, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you can spread your points among like you know between like different raffles, or you can just instant claim specific rewards such as boosts or renewals um like it, it's it's honestly like a gamified experience for even the folks that are not necessarily trading daily um, <laughs> but also the whales at the same time. so we made we we made sure that it's basically an ethical and sustainable system, and for us, it kind of replaces subscription plans, which is something that's not working currently in this space, primarily due to its size and the fact that a lot of people that are trading in the NFT space are like tro decentralization, but it's just not sustainable if you're living in countries like the US or the European Union, uh, right? Like, or, right. or some Asian countries. It's just not realistic. And I just feel like for us and for any other business to survive in the years to come, we all have to figure out like, how do we monetize? But without necessarily considering, you know, like our community as a customer, which is something, something that's extremely important. A lot of folks have tried to just dump another collection another collection to their communities and turn their communities into like, you know, a revenue generating, let's just say, channel, mm. uh, therefore see them as customers. But our thinking and parts of the, this whole ecosystem that we've created is that our community has been supporting us during the hardest uh, and best times up until now. So we wanna make sure that we reward them, short term, but also long-term. So we don't see our community as our customers, but rather as early adopters, tech enthusiasts that are using next-gen technology and they're getting rewarded for it. Mm-hmm. And we we monetize it in a way that keeps our products, our product and our ecosystem alive for the years to come. And once we hit mainstream, you know, mass adoption, for instance, that's a completely different conversation because you can't have a community with a million people, right? Right,
0: I mean, it's 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 a bit, um, I had a podcast with uh, Joel Rourke Bunchu uh, which, which is leading like the Starbucks royalty program, the Mm web three, the web three side of it, the Starbucks odyssey. And he was saying like how there's a shift in web three where it's not just about, you know, spend a dollar, get 50 cents back or something like that. Like we don't want to take more out of customers to give them a small, uh, portion of the stick. Like it's more about rewarding the customer for their loyalty by integrating or at, at least introducing new value into the ecosystem. And I think you're doing that very well with Mintify. The way you approach it, you're also thinking about it as a media company. You're educating a lot of people, so you know. Therefore, like people want to stay on your platform because you know, I, I get all you, all the information from the the daily email that you send out, the newsletter. So I stay on top of it that way. And plus, you have a great product. Plus, if you incentivize, like I feel like it's a it's a good it's a good holistic approach to to incentivize people to stay. Basically.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's the thinking behind this. You know, like if if you're like in web in the web two, still in the web two space, like you'd see that even a uh, even a Shopify e-commerce store might actually launch a podcast around their niche or category. Uh, right, the, the, they're they're going to be doing like sweepstakes and all of these things that are like marketing related to make it make their product and their brand more relative, uh, more relevant and more interesting. And in the web two space, I mean, you know, like we're talking about the next cycle of the web, but one thing that I'm arguing constantly in interviews, spaces, podcasts is that a lot of people in this space are thinking about Web3 as a as the, as the big reset. Whereas the way I'm thinking about it is that we should take all the best parts of Web2 and just elevate them and, and keep building and innovating in the Web3 space. But a lot of people are not taking the best parts. For instance, how many companies don't have a newsletter today? How many companies don't, like Web3 companies, right, don't have a a podcast, for instance, so they're they're not appearing in spaces, so they're not doing this or that, mm. which are some of the parts that you are supposed to take from the Web two world because they're, they're they're proven. We're like a billion different data points, right? Right. So you can't just consider Web three as like a clean slate and let's all figure it out um, from scratch. Uh, and let, let's <laughs> just
0: all get the information from Discord servers and and try to you know like try to keep up with everything. We we can't do that. We live in such a busy and noisy world. It is super useful to be able to aggregate all that information in one spot. If I get a, a daily newsletter that gives me all that information, it just simplifies my life so much instead of trying to keep up with everything that's happening in every project, left and right, and you know, announcements on Discord, Twitter, all that. It, that brings me to a point where I think on Mintify, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you 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 have a social aspect overlaid onto the platform,
1: right? yes and no so we we partnered with bubbles and you if you go to, if you go to Mythify right now and pull the coll- the collection info module there's a, on the top right there's a section that says uh, info and then there's a tab that says news so for the for the top 200 blue chip collections if you click on the news tab you can actually see for instance the latest tweets and announcements from like you know during the board ape collection you can see the latest announcement from yuga for that particular collection or the latest tweets or the latest uh, website announcements. Um, to We, we try to kind of like bring everything together in, in you know, one roof. We've also integrated with Like It Traders so you can get your news in real time as they're covering the market. They're one of the fastest publications that I know of. Big fan of Like it Trader that are actually posting news like in real time as they're happening in literally minutes. So you get push notification as you're trading that, oh, you could just announce like a new this or that. Um, okay, great. So you go into the asset, you buy it, trade it. Do whatever you want with it, right? But that's valuable information. One important thing that we're doing—we started playing with like large language models. So we want to we want to overlap social with trade five. The idea here is that as you're seeing the floor price of a collection and all those you know swings up and down, you can correlate a floor movement with social five data. So as an example, if if you're again, let's just use board Ape Club. If you were to see like board Ape's went from like thirty to five. 35 ETHs in a day, Mm -hmm. you'll be able to hover your mouse over the floor chart and see that the reason for that is because they announced something new. If you went down, you can see the reason or an announcement or this or that and kind of connect the dots, Right. Um, which I feel like it's extremely valuable for for any trader, not just the pros. Is
0: that something that your team has to kind of validate internally? Like that's just, that's not something you just pull from like, um, you know, from, yeah, like a feed. Yeah,
1: for a feed. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like an Atom feed or an RSS feed. Uh, no. So for us, the way we build things, we don't want to just build something and have to maintain it long term and keep adjusting to like API libraries or this and that. But rather build things in a way that are self-sustained, let's just say, for the for the quarters and years to come. Mm-hmm. So when it comes out of our to that, like the easy way to do it is to hire like 10, 20, 100 people, right? Put them into payroll and just say, okay, go through the floor crisis and try to attach SocialFi events uh, or tweet your Discord announcements. It's like a floor chart. But the way we're doing it is more of like managing big data. We're using Google's Vertex to do uh, labeling for large language models. And that includes both the SocialFi data that's out there as well as our internal data that we have. Uh, We're one of the biggest data, uh, basically data providers in the space. Our API is basically being used right now from CoinMarketCap on 30, 35 other businesses, uh, including like a trader, by the way. Nice. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, the thinking here is that imagine if you could have like an overlay embedded into like any website down the road, aside of the terminal, right? As part of our API. So that's why I want to do things with large language model because that opens up the door to an entirely new world for any API customer, as well as for our own products as well. One example would be, how do you define a WASH trading filter? every marketplace and every aggregator and every platform has, uh, they have like their own variables on what's the very definition of like wash trade. Mm. So when you see, for instance, volume on uh, Magically or Blur or OpenSea or Luxury, there, there are discrepancies. And the reason being primarily is that they exclude or they include things that they're not supposed to because that's their internal policy. Whereas the, what we're trying to do is we wanna give the option to anyone that's using our data to train their own model and basically use it any way they want and label all these uh, data points.
0: In, in a space that really has no precedent, you mentioned it yourself, like a lot of times we have to plan for the next couple of weeks. So in order to build a sustainable business, we have to think long-term. What are some ways that you are doing that? And how, how do you see NFTs trickle- trickling into the mainstream in the next you know, six months, year or years to come? And how will that play a role in Mintify?
1: Yeah, so I think that you can use, uh, crypto is a great example. I remember the days in which, you know, like BlackRock's uh, CEO said something like uh, Bitcoin is like, uh, like a pyramid scheme or stuff like that. That's the, the worst trading and criminals use it. Mm-hmm. And then he fast forward like three, four, five years later, BlackRock applied for an ETF, right? right. Um, so I feel like, you know, all the naysayers on the NFT side, it's, it's really hard to connect the dots if you're not part of the space. Like, if you were to go to the average person, like, here in New York or in Greece or in, like, Japan and say, hey, you know, like, here's what NFTs are and here, here's how they work. Like, I feel like if they are not at the current state, uh, market state, like, if they if they don't tip their toes themselves, understand by using the technology, like, how it works in White's novel, right. um, they'll probably never get it, right? They'll, they'll say, okay, it's just another crypto scam. So, if you don't get crypto, you're never going to get NFTs the way I see it. So it's, it's a very volatile asset the way I see it right now. And it's directly correlated with like crypto prices, uh, crypto is, there's a correlation with like the stock market as well as we know it. So I feel like there has to be some sort of like stabilization and starting with the crypto space, that's going to lead to the NFTs. Maturing. And then during the next, yeah, like during the next cycle, for instance, like we have the halving next year, there's going to be some, you know, everyone expects like the next cycle, whenever that comes, no one can predict that obviously accurately. But I feel like there's going to be like the same type of euphoria as well coming into NFTs. And we're going to be experiencing like a completely different bull run, perhaps bigger in terms of the volume, most likely, right? But for us to reach like mass adoption, what I said at the beginning, I don't think that the average consumer is going to go to Starbucks and say, oh, I got an NFT from Starbucks. You're going to get a stamp, right? On the Polygon chain. Mm -hmm. And they're not even going to know what Polygon is most likely, right? Mm -hmm. Do you know, for instance, where... The server of Twitter or the infrastructure of Twitter is powered by no, you don't care about that no, no or X
0: <laughs> exactly one of the interesting parts where I see nfts but I mean that really the precursor of nfts to me was gaming, right like with the with all yeah. the the in-game assets that you could acquire and trade over time, how do you see that evolving because you know obviously gaming is a crazy big industry, so many people play video games. How do you see that impacting uh you know the market in the next few years
1: yeah that's a great question uh that's why i told you earlier that's what got me that's what helped me connect the dots with crypto and then later on with nfts um so you know let's take a game like world of warcraft right you have all these fungible items let's say in game you, you you kill a boss you get a legendary sword or a shield or whatever um what happens when world of Warcraft 2.0 comes out and that's more of like uh an example with call of duty and their seasons and their titles that they're constantly renewing year after year, and then you lose all your inventory. Uh, whereas there is a world in which the average gamer, you don't have to be like a pro esports gamer, but rather the average gamer that comes back from work every day and wants to play like a couple of games of Call of Duty or FIFA, instead of just having to pay like 50 bucks every September or October when the new titles are coming out, they actually get paid for, the, for their progression in a way. So imagine, for instance, unlocking a weapon that carries on for the years to come across like all the titles on Call of Duty. And, you know, that weapon, for instance, can be leveled up to the infinity and, you know, like the, the, the higher the level, the more valuable it is. So if you decide to stop playing Call of Duty, you can actually sell it, right? Or if it reaches like a certain threshold, a certain amount, you can actually monetize your in-game assets. That's one. Two is scarcity, rarity. You know, like we, we, I don't know if you played World of Warcraft, but I've been, I've been, I was addicted once I was a kid. Uh, and I remember that you had a rare item, an epic item, a legendary item, but you don't really know like, okay, how many people have a legendary item, right? Yeah. So you can, you can do that in a centralized way, but obviously it's way more transparent to do it through blockchain tech. So the way I see games basically integrating blockchain is primarily by building their own L2s and their own blockchains in general. I don't think that you know Grand Theft Auto coming out in a year, for instance, will even entertain the idea of facing a billion or a trillion assets on Ethereum on public
0: blockchain, basically.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So I, I don't think that we even have the technology yet. We're not there yet, resources-wise, to support that. Um, so that's why, and, and this is also part of the mintify thesis that. We want to support private marketplaces, public marketplaces as well. And we want to offer bridging solutions down the road. Because I see a world in which go to Counter-Strike or Call of Duty or whatever, World of Warcraft, get a, an epic item, but there's no liquidity, let's say, on World of Warcraft's uh, blockchain. Therefore, you want to bridge that asset to ETH because there's more liquidity there and you want to sell it quickly. Mm. right? So I feel like that interoperability is going to be everything You know, once we figure that out. It's gonna be everything around like gaming primarily, you know, and all the ecosystems that are bound to it. So I don't I don't think that we should be focusing on just a single network. I do see personally that's not financial advice by Ethereum dominating for numerous reasons, but the majority of the microtransactions are not gonna happen in here the way I see it in with the current tech.
0: Do you see any limitations of that happening in the, you know, next few years or something? It sounds good in theory, but like Technically, how hard is it to execute that, to have like different L2s and bridge, let's say like um, you have a World of Warcraft legendary weapon and you want to sell it on the Counter-Strike marketplace. Would that even be possible?
1: Absolutely. Okay. On the technical side, absolutely. What's Where we're at today, though, is that you see that there's a new ERC ERC type coming out, ERC 6551. I'm so excited about this one, by the way. Uh, That makes your NFT technically a wallet. Therefore, you can have NFTs within your NFTs. So let's just use that example for a second. That, that's already approved. It's out there. You can use it as a, as a creator. If you want to write a an ERC 65321 spot contract and deploy it on ETH right now, you can. Right. Who supports it, right? Like majority of the liquidity right now on the marketplace side is on Blur, and OpenSea, OpenSea Pro, Luxray, right? So right. we're waiting for all of these big marketplaces, let's say, to add support for one additional type of, of a smart contract for us to actually use that smart contract. So now we go back to the issue of massive companies, you know, like controlling basically the entire space and it's up to them to move fast. And they can move fast. The bigger you are, the slower you're moving, right? In the, mm. in, in the business world. And you can move fast. So I feel like that's one of the reasons that I'm excited about blockchain tech and NSDs and especially gaming and how these two, Correlate because I feel like there's going to it's extremely easy if you're into the web to face right now, and you have like a tech background to build solutions from scratch and have the ability to compete with all these giants within weeks and months versus, you know, like in the web to world, it's just not possible to do that. Who can compete with Amazon, right? Right. Who can compete with like the Shopify's of the world? Who can build the next WordPress?
0: Yeah, because I feel like it's much more collaborative when you enter the Web3 space. We just mentioned, like, even if you have private chains, different L2s between different games, it benefits everyone to be able to trade across these layer twos.
1: Yep, I I agree. And I, I just think that protocols that are coming out, for instance, I'm super excited about uh, what Coinbase is doing. Mm. Um, I feel like that's going to be revolutionary uh, in so many ways, but... To shift gears for a second, like going back to the gaming, I just think that we're not gonna, we're not gonna, it's not, there's not gonna be a day which we're gonna wake up and see, like, oh, Blizzard, Activision, let's say, announce that their next style is gonna be based on their own Alture or anything. I think we're like a few years away from that. I wish it happened tomorrow, but I feel like some Web3 native games have to first set the precedent in the space for then the bigger companies to follow in the next few years. Mm. So one great example here is Yuga. What they're building is just incredible. Like I'm hoping that the final version of like on their side is just going to be, you know, the the Web3 version of World of Warcraft, reference, right? Right. Uh, like an RPG MMO game, for instance, that you can, that's a never ending, basically quest based uh, social. If they nail it, and I'm sure that if they nail it, we're talking about billions and billions in revenue, right? Obviously all the Web2 gaming studios are gonna pay attention, right? And it, it really the way I see it, it really, really depends on who's gonna who's gonna launch their first big title? and it has to be like a new game. That's why you guys are pursuing that. yeah, and then who's gonna follow? So it's gonna take a few more years. There are a lot of blockchain games out there already. Most of them are full of bugs or they haven't nailed their economic model or they're struggling with user base because of the complexity of having a wallet. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And wallet abstraction issues. But I just feel like within the next five years, we're absolutely going to see like a massive title, a massive gaming studio adding, you know, their own blockchain and offering like NFTs, let's say, within it. And yeah.
0: Yeah, I think I think like um, you mentioned something great there, because I feel like the bigger you are as a company, the less risk you're willing to take, the, the slower you move. And, you know, there's just no reason for you to make that step before anyone else like that's that's also the reason why as much as apple is a huge gigantic company they're not willing to do like a hardware wallet even though they could right like that's why ledger got into the game and i think they they might be they're going to be the pioneers of that and then maybe apple will follow in the future but that's that's always a, the the cycle they're, that's where the opportunity lies and i think in in the next few years that's where we're going to see like a lot of these uh these games that if you know you guys successful with what they're they're planning and building you're going to see a lot of people follow in that direction too.
1: Absolutely. And I don't think that Apple doesn't want to do the, the like, I don't feel like Apple is a company, that don't want to do a wallet. It's more of like, if everyone's doing a wallet, why should we do a wallet? Exactly. Going to, we're going to do a wallet that's going to be innovative, that's going to be unique, and that's going to solve problem. So imagine, for instance, I don't know if you're familiar with Apple's tech, but they have that chip in your iPhone, in your Mac Studio, MacBook, uh, that authenticates your 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 face ID and your fingerprint that lives on device, mm-hmm. right? And there's a also centralized through cryptography, there's a centralized environment in which you can recover it or use it when you get a new device, right? So imagine if Apple comes out next year do, during WWDC and says, so now you can have like the equivalent of a MetaMask, but with the security of like an iPhone, which we all know that's like one of the most secure things right now, mm. uh, if you're using the right settings, right? So, you know, it's going to take something like that for them to pull the trigger versus just saying, oh, you can now have a, you know, a Chrome extension that we call uh, Apple mask. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> right. And you mentioned before our podcast
1: that you recently had a, a child, like
0: congratulations on being a dad. Thank you. How does it feel? Like what are the first, uh, first weeks like?
1: Well, a friend of mine um, that's also in the web 2 space uh, said to me something that, uh, you know, hit me. The, during the first uh, few few days, uh, he said the nights are longs uh, are long, but the years are short, and you get to see it like that because obviously we're talking about adapting to your reality uh, when you become a parent. And I could easily say that's one of the hardest things in terms of like having to change your reality, your routine, your habits, and having to operate whether you're working for a company, whether you have to commute or not. You know, like you are going to get sleepless nights mm. for numerous reasons, right? So I feel like sleep for me has been one of the most uh, important things, um, working out, sleeping, eating healthy, obviously that that whole pack, but sleep specifically, I just can't operate without sleep. So it's been challenging knowing that you have 13, 40 meetings with, you know, venture capital firms, with partners and having like just four or five hours of sleep instead of your seven or seven and a half, you know, pretty much the average. Um, as an experience, I absolutely love it. I feel like there is no one that can describe that feeling when you see your uh, your child for the first time. Uh, like mm-hmm. obviously, I've had friends and family members, but you know, and they tell you about this, and the first time you look at them, and you're like, yeah, that that must be great, <laughs> right? But once you experience that, I don't feel like there's words in any language that can actually express that feeling. Um, so it's very, definitely challenging, but in a good way. Um, And I feel like, you know, if you have your experience in terms of adapting to new environments, whether you're a founder, whether you're like uh, more of like in the military, this and that. And I've served, by the way, in the Navy for a year. And that has helped me a lot with my business as well. So I do have some background in terms of having the ability to adapt to like uh, new situations. And I Mm -hmm. feel like that has helped me a lot.
0: I'm going to get there someday. But uh, as of right now, like I feel like, uh, you know, you, you feel like you're never ready. You feel like you never have enough time but then eventually like when you have your child i guess like you just have to make the time did you have to like adapt your day a lot like your your day to day routine uh, around the fact that you're raising a child now like like your work days are less long you come back uh, earlier obviously you sleep less but how does that go
1: yeah it's a great question um so going back to what you said earlier i think that it's an incredibly stressful process up until you uh you know your wife gives birth and everything um uh, but in reality, the, 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 those nine months went by, like, literally just, right? Like, if you try to go back and try to remember, like, all well, the doctor's appointment and right. everything. And one thing you have to realize is that, you know, it, it's part of, like, the natural, let to say, process of humans, right? Replicating it and, like, multiplying. Therefore, nature taking over in so many ways. Mm. Whether that's, you know, how you feel as a father or, or the mother or this or that. So there's nothing that you can do to get, well, other than just doing some shopping, you know, for the crib and everything. But aside of that, there's nothing that you can really do to get ready, to get prepared for what's going to come after your wife gives birth, right? Like literally nothing. For before, before we, before our daughter, I was actually pretty hesitant, you know, basically hagging or interacting with, let's say my best friend's daughter when she was born. I was like, it's too fragile. I'm going to break it, mm. right? But then with my daughter, I feel like, I got it. Like very confident from the first second I saw her, right? So that's something that this is a lot of parents might be stressed about um, or they actually have any interaction with their kid before like nine month, nine month term. But um, it, it, and that's why I said that it's kind of like a natural process because, you know, our brains are wired in a way to adapt whether it's hard for you or easy for you. At the end of the day, you're just going to adapt, right? Um, and there's going to be new things, a lot of new things that, You're going to learn that you're going to experience and you just got to go with the flow.
0: There's, um, I don't know, like there's, there's a part of you, like, I feel like you're very just talking to you. I I got to know you mostly like through web three, but listening to your interviews and getting the chance to have you on the podcast today, there's a part of you that I feel like you're very empathetic to other people. I, I think that's, that's one of the reasons why like you're, you're able to build great companies as well. Was that always innate or is that something you developed over time?
1: First of all, thank you. Um, I would say that my mother did a great job uh, raising me. I think that you know empathy is by far one of the best uh, traits. I'm going to call it that that you can have one of the best things because that's how you deeply communicate. First of all, your feelings, you externalize your feelings, and you can have like meaningful, deep connections with others. Whether that's your team, whether that's your partner, whether that's a friend or a family member. So it comes natural to me because I want to believe that I'm real, you know, I'm always being real and not a bullshitter with any situation, the the easy ones and the hard ones as well. So Mm -hmm. I feel like why not, why waste time to pretend and why waste the time to hold back in any situation if you could just be upfront and be done, done with it, even if it's a hard situation or even if it's an easy situation. So I've always optimized my mindset in a way that, um, you know, I want to get things done as quickly as possible. And perhaps part of the reason that uh, made me think this way.
0: Yeah. Well, Evan, like, really thank you for for taking the time today to be on the show. I want to take a moment to, again, acknowledge you because you've not only like uh, you're, you're an inspiration in terms of like what you've built in the past, but right now, like you're also spearheading a lot of things that are happening in Web3 and, and, you know, with the platform you're building with Mintify. I think a lot of people could learn from the way you operate the business and the way you're scaling this. Is there any other, you know, any updates that people should be on the lookout for in terms of Mintify?
1: Yeah, so first of all, thanks for having me. actually had a lot of fun. Uh great questions, definitely not generic questions, but more of like deep questions that matter, uh, which is quite rare when 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 people like do interviews. So thanks again for having me. A lot of updates and a lot of things are coming on the mid to Piperon. Some major news that we're gonna be breaking in September. Uh season one also launches end of August or first week of September. And um, you know, all eyes on that for now. There's gonna be major NFT five updates and we're gonna be launching our First lending protocol, basically in the next uh, few weeks before the end of the summer, and of course, like all eyes is are like on the on the, the meat token uh, that's gonna be that's gonna take place at a later time. But all the work is being is being done now in order to launch a token in this regulatory environment, especially in the state and especially in New York, mm-hmm. uh, it's extremely difficult. Um, but we we want to make sure that we do it the right way because we want to be you know want to be here long term not just learn something and be gone after a year or two. So that's, that's one of the most challenging things, let's just say right now, uh, aside of, uh, being a father and, uh, killing five, but I'm very optimistic about it and could it be, could it be more excited with the team that we build, built, the product that we build, and, um, I'm eager to see like how this space evolves in the, in the coming quarters and years.
0: Awesome. For the audience listening, you can follow Evan on Twitter at EvanVar. So it's Evan V-A-R. And also follow Mintify, uh, basically the way it's spelled. All right, guys. Well, uh, thank you so much, Evan. And uh, until next time. Thank you, That's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please consider leaving a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, or any other platform you're listening on. Your feedback is always super helpful. So if you take 13 to 35 seconds of your time to share some thoughts with me, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you again for listening. And until next time.